Hi, ladies. Thank you so much for having me here this morning. And thank you, Savannah, for introducing me. And thank you, Anna, for this wonderful, wonderful occasion. I'm so excited to be with you guys. And she introduced me, so I don't have to tell you much about that. I'm glad she got that part out the way, because I want to get really real with you really quick. And I'm going to try not to get emotional right off the bat, because I'm just getting started. But I don't deserve this, you guys. I don't deserve to be standing here before you. I don't deserve my beautiful family. I don't deserve to have kids. I don't deserve to share about these truths that I want to share with you today. But do you know why I'm here? Because Jesus said so. Because what I deserve as a sinner is death, okay? Romans 3.23 says the wages of sin is death. Actually, that's Romans 6.23. Romans 3.23 says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So I deserve death, okay? I deserve death, but I'm here before you because Jesus has saved me. He has given me an opportunity to stand here before you and bear witness to his greatness today. And so that's why I'm here. And just, just to tell you a little about myself, I grew up in a wonderful two-parent family home with my grandmother and my older sister in Huntsville, Alabama. So I'm an Alabama girl. And my parents taught me wonderful qualities, and they instilled in me so many great things. They told me to work hard. They told me to be a go-getter. They told me to never settle for less. And I thank them for that. But we were just occasional churchgoers when I was a little child. And then I'd say the latter portion of my life at home, we did begin to go to church more regularly. And so I'd like to say I grew up in the church. I'm glad that I did. And I learned a lot of great morals and values in that church. However, it wasn't until I got to Auburn University and as a freshman, attended FCA where the campus director at the time, similar to what my husband does, was Chet Williams. And he invited me to go to an FCA college retreat in Shaco Springs, Alabama, right outside of Talladega. And it was there that I heard the gospel, okay, at 19 years old, growing up in the church. It was there that I heard the gospel for the first time. And I don't want to knock on my home church, but it, whether it was the church or whether it was my own heart and just my ability to receive the truth, I heard the gospel for the first time at that retreat. And it was as if it was just me and that speaker in the room. His name was Adrian Dupree. I remember him. I remember his face. I remember even what he had on. And he said that if you want eternal life, if you want to live a life glorifying God, if you want to go to heaven, all you have to do is receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, the one who died for your sins, okay? You are a sinner. You need someone to save you. You cannot save yourself. And if you want eternal life, if you want to be freed of that, then just receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior and follow him all the days of your life. 
And so I went forward that night and I gave my life to the Lord. And forever, since then, my life has been changed forever. And just like I was so impacted by Jesus Christ through FCA and my husband, because little fun fact, we were at the same retreat, both gave our lives to the Lord at the same time, didn't know it at the time, but fast forward, started dating, got married, and here we are. But just like FCA has been a huge vital part of my life and how God used what he used to bring me to know him is what I want to be on this campus at Western. My husband and I desire to go make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them everything that Jesus has commanded them. That's none other than the Great Commission, which we'll talk about a little later. And that's the mission we're on. We've been working together now for eight years. We've been married for 11 and a half. And I shared, uh, well, Savannah shared earlier that we have three beautiful kids. We have a nine-year-old daughter, a six-year-old son, and a three-year-old son who is our boss baby. He thinks he's in charge. Um, Leave it to the youngest, you know, that's how they are. And so when I went to that retreat, I got baptized shortly after. And I'm just so glad that God used FCA in my life. And speaking of making disciples, if we're going to make disciples, how are we going to do that until we first know what a disciple is and how to be that, how to make disciples? And I echo Crossland's statement of discipleship. And it says, see if I know how to work this thing. There we go. Discipleship, a person who has experienced Christ will emulate Christ. And so what I'd like you to do is turn in page two of your packets, and there's a spot at the top that has a little section where I'd like you to think about what is God. Who is he in your life? What's the first thing that comes to mind when you think of God? So I'd like you to take a couple minutes Write down the first things that come to your mind. Don't overcomplicate it. Don't, you know, think too hard. Just whatever first comes to your mind, I'll give you a couple minutes to do that. You can even discuss really briefly with your table, and then I'll have your attention back up here. So go ahead.
Last month, Pastor Greg asked me to speak at this woman's conference on the nature of God. And initially when he asked me, I was like, really, me? <laughs> and I was so humbled and honored that he would pick me, he would think of me for this. But as I began to dive into the nature of God for the sake of this discussion this morning, I was like, God, how are we gonna really be able to grasp who you are? Just your complexity, your vastness. I became, became very overwhelmed in that moment of just who he is. Our mental arms will never fully wrap around who he is. And so I was like, God, how am I gonna do this? And so I just prayed and I began to seek him. And I only have 30 minutes, which isn't even enough to scratch the surface of who God is. but. I believe that it's so important that in our walk with Christ, we go down this journey, okay, that we do it. God is forever, and so it's going to take us forever to know who he is. But what a beautiful thing that is. He is beautiful. And in order to emulate who he is, we must know who he is. There's no better nature that you should know than the nature of God. And oftentimes what we as humans do is we take our humanity we take our opinions and we try to define God through that lens. And we say, well, I think God is this way or I feel like God would do this or that and it's based on our experiences and it's based on our opinions and that's not what God wants. God wants us to look at him through the reality that he gives us, okay? Let's be honest, we don't always see things for what they really are initially and we begin to form these very familiar viewpoints of who God is. It could be because of your own relationship with your earthly father or lack thereof. It could even be just the country that we live in. That can actually limit and blur what God is to us. And so instead of believing what we think God is, let's begin believing who God says he is. And so while no human definition will fully ever grasp who God is, I think Dr. Tony Evans, who's one of my favorite pastors, makes a good attempt, and this is what he says that God is. 
He says, God is the eternally perfect, uncreated creator, sustainer, and ruler of all things, who is comprised of three co-equal persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, who are one in, exist- one in essence while remaining distinct in personality. That was a mouthful, wasn't it? Have you ever tried to explain the Trinity to a child? It's kind of hard. I have three kids, and God has given me plenty of opportunities to explain it to them. But the best way I like to explain it to them is like a pretzel. You may have heard of this before, where one hole is not the second hole, the second hole is not the third hole, but all three holes tie together with one dough and share the same characteristics of one pretzel. And so, just like a pretzel, God and the Trinity, each part represents the divine nature of God, but each part is distinct from itself. And so Deuteronomy 6.4 tells us that God is one. Let's see. It doesn't like me today. I'm going to have to back up every time. That's okay. So Deuteronomy 6.4 says the Lord God is one. And then I mentioned this earlier, the Great Commission. Go, therefore, making disciples, baptizing them in the name, one name, of God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, three persons. And so God has many, many attributes. We know this. But for the sake of today's conversation, I'm going to stick with five different distinct characteristics of God. And there in your packet, you have some fill-in-the-blanks so you can follow along with me. And I'm going to go ahead and start with number one. Number one is God is spirit. God is spirit. He's invisible. John 4.24 says, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And I think that's pretty self-explanatory, so I'm going to move on to number two. God is forever. There has never been a time in which God hasn't existed. Psalm, one, Psalm 90, 1 and 2 says, Lord, you have been our home forever and ever. You were God before the mountains were born, before the earth and the world were made. You have always been and will always be God. So there's this book called What is the Gospel? You may have heard of it. It's a book that Wayne and I use as a resource with our ministry with FCA and as we make disciples. And this book is by Greg Gilbert. And in it, he defines the gospel in four points. God the Father, I'm sorry, uh, God, man, Christ, and response. And he elaborates on each one of those points of the gospel. And so in the first point of the gospel, God, he says this. Greg says, the beginning of the Bible says God created the heavens and the earth. Everything starts from that point. And like an arrow fired by a badly aimed bow, if you get that point wrong, then everything else that follows will be wrong too. And so what I want us to focus on in that quote is the beginning. In the beginning, God. And so that means before there ever was a beginning was God. 
And this is where we get the idea that God is transcendent, meaning he exists outside of time and space. And I like to call that God's space. And as I was thinking of that, I thought of this website back in the day. I don't know, I'm kind of aging myself right now. But have you all heard of that website, MySpace, that social media website? So it made me think of that because before there was ever a TikTok, an Instagram, a Snapchat, there was MySpace. I had a MySpace page. And in 2005, I think to like 2008, it was the largest social networking site. And it brought in more than 100 million users per month. That's a lot, but that pales in comparison to these websites today, you know, social media today. But anyway, sorry, little bit of a rabbit hole there. But when I think of God's space, I'm kind of like, okay, it's like my space. It's like space outside of really the reality of what we're dealing with today. And when I think of God's space, I think about Isaiah 55. And it makes me understand this verse so much better. And what it says is, oh wait, just kidding. Doesn't say that. I forgot I didn't put that on the screen. Okay, so what Isaiah 55, eight through nine says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. And so God never changes his mind. Think about that. I mean, anytime we've changed our mind, it's because we didn't know what the outcome was going to be, right? We were like, oh, well, it's, we're going a little bit, and oh, that's a little different than we expected. Okay, I'm going to change my mind and do this a little differently. But God exists outside of time and space. He can see the beginning and the end. He knows what's to come. He never changes his mind. Psalm 102.27 says that God never changes. He lives forever. He is the I am that I am. Do you know what that means when he says the I am that I am? It's kind of weird sounding, isn't it? Well, in Exodus 3, there's a story about Moses, and he is the leader of the Israelites. God called him to be a prophet for the people of Israel. They were being oppressed by the hands of the Egyptians, and God was going to rescue them and bring them out of that, and he used Moses to do that. And the way he got Moses' attention was through a burning bush. Y'all remember that story about the burning bush? And God showed him himself in the form of this fire, this burning bush, this endlessly burning bush that never burned up. And as, as Moses got closer to this bush, God spoke to him. And so he called him to this great mission. And then if you go to Exodus 3, 13, Moses asks a question. He says, if I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your ancestors sent me, then the people will ask, what's his name? What should I tell them? And then in Exodus 3:14, it says, tell them the I am who I am sent you. In other words, the one who was, the one who is, and the one who will forever be has sent you. Point number three, God is holy. 
Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. His glory fills the whole earth. Isaiah 6.3. Have you ever thought about what does it mean to be holy? What does that word mean? It's kind of one of those words that we use so often that we kind of like, well, wait, what does it mean? Because we use it so much to define God. To be holy means to be utterly unique. In other words, God is separate from anything common, and he's in a class all by himself. So let's go back to the story of Moses, because God used this burning bush to get uh, Moses' attention, which is kind of weird. You know, he was like, why is this bush still burning forever and ever? But as he got closer to this bush, God told him, stop. You are standing on holy ground. Take your sandals off. That ground was holy. And so when I think about that, it just makes me think about how utterly unique, right, that situation was to have this burning bush that didn't burn up. It burned endlessly. And the power that that flame represented. And even the danger, right? Because if anything impure approaches God, it must first become pure. And that's why the Israelites had so many customs and steps and things that they had to do to be holy and pure before God. And so what God is trying to show us in his holiness is he's nothing to be messed around with. He's nothing to be played around with. He's serious and we should take him seriously. Number four, God is creator. Another reference to Genesis 1-1, which we've said, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. But I want to go a little further down in the scripture, also to Genesis 1:26 through 28. It says, God spoke. He said, let us make human beings in our image. Make them reflecting our nature so that they can be responsible for the fish in the sea, the birds in the air, the cattle, and yes, earth itself and every animal that moves on the face of the earth. God created human beings. He created them godlike, reflecting God's nature. He created them male and female. God blessed them. Prosper, reproduce, fill the earth, take charge. Be responsible for the fish in the sea and the birds in the air, for every living thing that moves on the face of the earth. God created you and me. He created us in his image, and therefore he has a right to tell us what we need. He has a right to tell us what makes us work best. He knows how we operate best. He knows everything about us, and he knows what will not only benefit us, but will benefit the glory of God. And then lastly, this is where I'm gonna spend the rest of my time this morning. God is love. 1 John 4, 8. His love is boundless and unconditional. God is relational and personal, and you have to be when you love. So the same God who created the heavens and earth in this amazing universe wants to be with you. He wants to love you. He wants to hang out with you. And there's countless times over and over in Scripture that we see that. 
all the way starting from Adam and Eve. Despite them sinning against him, rebelling against him, turning their back on God, he still said, I want to be with you. Despite the world just being in complete destruction and devastation and evil, God spoke to Noah and said, I want to be with you. Let's start over and let's rebuild. Despite the Israelites rejecting him over and over and over again, rebelling against them, worshiping other gods besides him, he said, I want to dwell with you. And we see this so many other times in Scripture, and he shows great compassion for us over and over through his love. Isaiah 49, 15, in that verse, God asks a question, and he says, can a mother forget her nursing child and walk away from the baby that she bore? And I think about my three children, right? I'm a mom and I'm a human mom, and even I could never, ever walk away from my babies. Knowing, looking down at them, knowing what they need, and they're so dependent, they're so helpless without me. I would never, but what, what God says is he says, even if mothers forget, because mothers are human too, even if mothers forget, I'd never forget you. And that's because our transcendent God wants to be with us. He has made us personal. And namely, he wants to dwell with us through the form of the Son, Jesus Christ. Emmanuel, God with us. And then he took it another step after that, when Jesus ascended into heaven, and dwelled inside of us with the power of the Holy Spirit. Nothing can ever separate us from the love of God. Do you see it? Do you see this now? If you haven't before, do you see how God always wants to be with us and he always wants to love us? He always knows what's best for us. Death can't separate us from God, not life, not spirits, Nothing now, nothing later, no powers, nothing above us, nothing below us, nothing in the whole created world can ever separate us from the love of God. God cares about you deeply on a personal level, all the way to your innermost thoughts. In the most famous scripture, in the Bible is John 3.16. But I think this verse has been quoted so many times that we've lost, it's lost its touch. But God loves us so much that he gave his only son to live with us, to be with us, so that we would have eternal life because we've screwed it up over and over again. Without him, we would die forever. But he loved us so much and knew we were so helpless without him. He looked down at us like a child, a child who was nursing his mother. 
he knew we needed him. And so Jesus is the original image of God. That's what we have to see. He is the original image of God. Because Jesus came to save us from our sins. And at the cross, he took your place and my place. And so what I'd like for you to see is this beautiful depiction of this in Colossians 1, 15 through 20. And this is a part of it, but if you have your Bible, please turn, because this passage is beautiful, and I want you to highlight all over it, because this is the depiction of who God is in the flesh, fully God and fully man. I'm sniffly, sorry. Colossians 1.15 says, No one can see God, but the Son is exactly like God. He rules over everything that has been made. Through his power, all things were made, things in heaven and on earth, seen and not seen, all spiritual rulers, lords, powers, and authorities. Everything was made through him and for him. The sun was there before anything was made, and all things continue because of him. He is the head of the body, which is the church. He is the beginning of everything else, and he is the first among all who will be raised from the dead. So in everything, he is most important. God was pleased for all of himself to live in the Son, and through him God was happy to bring all things back to himself again, things on earth and things in heaven. God made peace by using the blood sacrifice of his son Jesus on the cross. And so who he says about himself says so much about who we are. We are made in the image God, of God too, just like Jesus. Jesus is the original image and we are image bearers. What an opportunity that is. Think about how special you are. You are the image of God. And I love, I think about how, you know, I think Pastor Greg has said this before. Who is the greatest of all time? We talk about who's the GOAT in sports all the time. Is it LeBron? These are ladies, though. Is it Serena? You know. But I love how Pastor Greg says, Jesus is far more than the GOAT, people, because he existed before time ever did, and he's been the greatest before time ever existed. And so lastly, turn to Exodus 34, 6. Because this is in another important passage for us to understand about the way God describes himself. Exodus 34, 6 and 7 says, The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, overflowing with loyal love and faithfulness. He is trustworthy. He shows faithful love to thousands of people. He forgives people for the wrong things that they do. 
but he does not forget to punish guilty people. And it goes on to say, not only will he punish the guilty people, but their children, their grandchildren, and their great-grandchildren will suffer for the bad things these people do. And so while God loves us, it is not canceled out by his righteousness and his judgment. He's, in, he's determined to not look, overlook any of our sin because he does that out of love and he is righteous and just out of love. But to take it even a step further, I thank God that he has resolved the punishment that we deserve, the guilty punishment that we deserve through Jesus Christ. When you take when you believe on him and repent for the forgiveness of your sins, you no longer have to pay for this guilty judgment. Your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren don't have to pay because of the faithfulness that you had in your heart to believe in Jesus Christ. Jesus destroyed death once and for all, when he died on the cross, rose from the dead. This is the kind of God we have. We have a God who conquers all. And so when I go back to Isaiah 49, 15, and I think about that verse, it resonates with me so. Can a mother forget her nursing child and walk away from the baby she bore? I think about my pregnancy with Duke, and he's my baby, he's three. And it was probably one of the hardest things I've ever gone through in life, let alone just a hard pregnancy. And God did so much in me during that hardship. I mean, every single trimester it was something. The first trimester it was morning sickness and tiredness. The second trimester was sleep insomnia. I went through two and a half months of sleepless nights. And then the third trimester, I just felt like he was about to fall on the floor. Like, I was just like, this baby is so heavy. And so I think about that, and then I remember when I gave birth to him, and you would have thought every single pain that I experienced just washed away. And when I looked at him for the first time, I just thanked God. And in the same way, when God looks down at us like we're his child, knowing how helpless we are, he doesn't see our flaws. He doesn't see the sin, the guilt, he sees Jesus Christ, who washed away all of our sins. He sees that cross. He hides us behind it. And if I can relate to Isaiah 49, 15, how much more kind and loving and gracious is God and he keeps rescuing us, and he's gonna keep rescuing you over and over and over and over again. 
This compassion, think about that. That's the first word that he uses to describe himself, compassion. This is the same compassion that moved Jesus to suffer for us. And it's the same compassion that he's calling you and me to have in order for others to know about him. So if we're gonna think about emulating God, you can't do it without compassion. And so lastly, at the bottom of your pages right there on page two, I pointed out several different scriptures for the five attributes of God that you have listed before you. And you may have written some notes as well. What I'd like you to do is highlight or circle any of those characteristics that are either hard for you to believe or ones that you really want to grow into a deeper understanding and knowing him. And so take some time to do that right now and then afterwards discuss with the ladies at your table. And then after that discussion time, there's going to be a countdown clock that comes up. And then you'll have the opportunity to use the bathroom, stretch your legs, whatever you need to do. Just make sure you're back here at the end so that we can go into session two. But before I get off the stage, let's remember that when we are Christ's, that bears responsibility. But that also bears value. We are so valuable to God. And we've got to understand that. We've got to get that. This brings meaning to our life and responsibility to our life. And when we properly understand who God is, especially God as the Son of Man, it influences our perception of Him, our relationship with Him, and our relationship with others. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you for being sovereign. Thank you for being holy. Thank you for being utterly unique. Thank you, God, for loving us more than we've ever deserved. Thank you for knowing what's best for us. And thank you, God, for continuing to rescue us over and over again. God, there's no other place that we'd rather be than here in your love. Thank you for loving us despite our faults. Thank you for never overlooking us. And thank you for teaching us more and more about you as we seek to know you every day. You continue to pull back layers upon layers of yourself. God, continue to resonate your truths in our hearts so that we can better emulate who you are and that more people will come to know you as a result.
There's no place I would rather be. There's no place I would rather be. There's no place I would rather be than here in your love, here in your love. There's no place I would rather be. There's no place I would rather be. There's no place I would rather be than here in your love, here in your love. So set a fire down in my soul that I can contain and I can control. I want more of you, God. I want more of you, God. So set a fire down in my soul that I can contain and I can control. I want more of you, God. I want more of you, God. God, that's our prayer tonight, today, this morning. I done lost track of time in you, God. I thank you and I love you. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen.